0: Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tong.
1: Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. I'm your host, Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. These shows will give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration, to a new level of awareness, and how you can be part of this grand awakening. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Richard Leviton to the show, a geomancer who works with visionary geography. Welcome to the show, Richard. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me. Perhaps we should begin by having you explain to us what geomancy actually is.
2: Well, geomancy is an old term from England. It actually used to refer to a divinatory method, but I follow... The, uh, the the more modern nuance given it by John Michel, who is a pioneer in that work in England, and it, it's about divining the energies of the planet. And the next step beyond that is to actually create a kind of map or a topographical coordinate system that, uh, it's almost like an engineering blueprint for how the planet works and how all of the uh, sacred sites are held together and, and support consciousness on the Earth. So that's the kind of work that I'm involved in. It's both interactive and conceptual, both visionary and analytical and both clairvoyant, and it helps if you have a brain <laughs> and a little bit of education. So it's really a, a combination of a lot of approaches. And So the visionary geography then would be the actual
1: landscape that you see beyond the normal physical realm.
2: Yeah, the visionary geography is a term taken from a pre-Islamic mysticism via the scholar Henry Corban. As he gets the credit for that term, and it, it describes a subtle, etheric or spiritual landscape, sort of like where your acupuncture meridians and chakras are in the body. You can't see them, but they're there, and they have actions. It's the same with the earth. And it's visionary in the sense that it gives you multiple visions of different aspects of the spiritual world, all of which are actually visions of what comprises the human being in a very generic kind of creation sense. So it's a it's a place of vision. It's, a, it's another level to the landscape.
1: So, so tell us, you just mentioned sacred sites. So just describe to us exactly what a sacred site is.
2: Well, outwardly, Uh, A sacred site is a place that's been marked in the landscape by some kind of structure. Usually, if it's in Europe, uh, there'll be something involving stones, stone circles or hills or standing stones or stone rows. Uh, In other places, uh, very old churches and cathedrals elsewhere in the world, pagodas, uh, stupas, all the different names for different kinds of physical uh, uh, structures. But these are like place markers that show you where... Uh, what technically you would call invisible light temples are, and this is where all the action is, and this is the place where all the myths of the different cultures around the world have spoken of. This is where the gods live. This is where the dragons live. This is where all the wild and crazy stuff that's been written about in all the myths actually take place. It's a kind of lucid dream Disneyland that um, you enter... First, by going, you know, to the actual physical site, you know, Stonehenge, the the pyramids of Giza, uh, lots of places of, like these are known outwardly, but that's just the outermost shell of it. The the real action is on the inside, the visionary element of it. So, the ancients
1: who um, built those temples and those stone circles were able themselves to clairvoyantly see these energy. Well,
2: they'd have to. Otherwise, it'd be like being a plumber and going to someone's house and trying to fix the pipes when all the lights are out. <laughs> I mean, it really helps if you can see what you're doing. So, yes, clairvoyance, clairvoyance is presupposed. There's also another thing that's presupposed, and that's what I would call initiate awareness or initiate knowledge or training. And I'll use the analogy of the plumber again. You wouldn't want to have a plumber come to your house and mess with your pipes or your toilet or your kitchen sink if they didn't really know what the whole thing was about or, or like a hot water heater. It's the same thing with interacting with sacred sites and the invisible light temples within them, you really need to have a certain amount of training and, and knowledge about how what they are and how they work. They all have different actions and different effects and different impacts on awareness. And, you know, we're talking about real energies. So it helps to have a little bit of awareness. And, and as I said at the beginning, it really helps if you can see them because then you have a better idea of what you're actually doing. Okay? You're sort of walking around in... Uh, structured light spaces that might be as complicated as Gothic cathedrals, you know? It's just that they're not physically present. They're present in terms of light. So it really helps if you can see them.
1: So uh, when when, uh, human beings are in these sites, how, how does the human
2: consciousness interface with the landscape? Well... The, if you look at the planet as a whole, and there are literally, no exaggeration, many millions of light temples distributed across the planet. It's a vast, fractal, and holographic uh, matrix of interconnected light temples. When, when, you're in, when you look at this as a whole, all, uh, and, then, and then focus on the parts, all the parts actually represent components of the human being. You might say organs, and chakras, and, and cells, and molecules, so that... The entire light grid or visionary geography of the planet uh, is like looking into a mirror and seeing what the mystics would call your cosmic self, not so much your lower you know, daytime working business self, but the, the deeper part of you that was created by the supreme being and is still there. So the, the, whole, the whole point of going to sacred sites and, and having some kind of visionary experience is actually to start waking up to who you are you know in, in In a deep sense, and the sites have been designed each of them to produce different impacts on your awareness to gradually so that you can gradually put the whole picture together. The cool thing is as you 're doing this every time you go to a site and tune in or shall I say plug yourself into the outlet, you help the planet because this is part of the planet 's light body or light grid or energy grid and it needs the interaction from humans doing exactly this that then puts us in a wonderful reciprocal feedback loop with the earth humans and earth in a reciprocal loop and we both get healthy the planet wakes up and we wake up and we've lost that we've lost that connection largely with the earth uh,
1: and so it is time to re- reunite isn't it
2: well <laughs> the trouble is there just aren't enough native peoples around anymore this used to be Uh, knowledge that just about every culture had and then it was also part of the mystery tradition in all the cultures from India to Europe and to Native Americans. It was all presented in different languages but it it was a a global awareness. And now by and large it's just Native peoples here and there that that have maybe just a a fragment of that original knowledge. So we have to in a sense uh, reclaim it, uh, retrieve it uh, it's, a, it's a bit like, if I can change an image, uh, uh, change the nuance of an image, it's like the, the Tower of Babel represents the unified vision of the planet and, and the entire mystery tradition as a revelation. Then it got blown up, and all the parts were distributed around the planet, and these these parts or fragments got deposited in all the different cultures and myths around the planet. So we have to collect them from everywhere to get the clues and to get the the pieces of the puzzle back together so we can recreate the image. And from the image, we create the methods of how to interact with the planet in the most effective and contemporary manner. And I say contemporary because with no disrespect intended to any Native peoples, uh, consciousness evolves, the human body evolves, and, you know, uh, white post-industrial, computer-crazy, Internet-linked humans require a different approach in consciousness than, than the shamanic techniques that might have been very effective centuries earlier. You know what I'm saying? We need uh, not only to reclaim the knowledge, we need some new approaches that are suitable to how our consciousness sits in our body and what kind of people we are today in the year 2009. So essentially
1: what you're saying is as the, each individual human being collects all their fragments and pieces to become whole, so the planet needs to do so as well, and that needs to be done in uh, in a synergistic way together.
2: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, good. Synergistic or reciprocal.
1: Yeah. So so how do you tune in when you are at these sacred sites? How do you plug into the land? Yeah,
2: well, uh, uh, in, in the approach I take, and it was actually... Uh, based on quite a lot of training I had when I lived in England for a number of years, um, you need to be able to combine or uh, hold together two, or three realms: the human—that's yourself, you know, your awareness, the chakras, your emotions—it you know, needs to be sort of organized and grounded and focused. The the elemental kingdom, which is the formal name for the nature spirits, the landscape angels, and there's a whole array of David spirits in that category. And you also need to be able to hold in your awareness the angelic uh, realm, not not all 40 families of angels, but there are some who are key players, as well as some members of what is usually called the hierarchical realm. These are more popularly known as ascended masters um, and various other highly evolved, post-human or never-human kind of spirits. And you you need to be able to uh, span in your awareness these three realms because it's like a dimmer switch. It's not an on and off switch like in a house. It's a dimmer switch, which means in a dimmer switch, you technically, you can turn the lights on in a house very slowly. In small increments. So using this analogy of a dimmer switch, you need three hands on the dimmer switch, a human hand, an angelic hand, and an elemental hand, so to speak, and all turning at the same time. Because the the planet's light grid, which is another name for the distributed visionary geography, needs to be re-illuminated slowly, incrementally, with these three agencies uh, doing it at the same time because they are all implicit in the pattern, so therefore they have to participate in re the pattern. So that's the first thing, you have to be able to have waking, grounded, sober, I don't mean you, you have to be serious, but I mean you really uh, sort of have to be like a, a plumber who's, who's passed his training. Uh, you have to be able to work with these three realms and uh, bring them in a wakeful state to a sacred site, and then the angelic realm will show you how, in a sense, to plug in, and then the elemental kingdom comes into play because they will then take the benefits of of your having turned the dimmer switch a little bit, and take the benefits. Uh, to use a picture, be like. Uh, taking, uh, dry torches and going up to a huge bonfire and then running out in all the 360 degrees with the flaming torches to plant them in the subtle landscape. That's what the nature spirits do. But the fire has to be there first and that's what we do in conjunction with the angelic and the ascended masters and, you know, a few other agencies like archangels as well. And, and, you know, it's, it's a bit like, uh, it's similar to acupuncture. Uh, anyone can have the services of an acupuncturist, but if you're going to set yourself up as a practitioner of acupuncture, you really will need to master the language of that system. It's complex, and there's a lot of interconnections, and there's about a thousand treatment points, and, and at least 14 meridians, and, you know, there's a certain amount of knowledge involved. It's the same with the earth. So you need to have some kind of a understanding of the overall engineering template of the Earth, and then how its various energies work, and then how you can safely insert yourself into that system and do some good. So in other words, some training is required. Well, thank you, Rich. That's a very
1: clear explanation. I want to go, go back to that when we get come back. We're just going to go to break right now. And I'm with Richard Leviton, and we're going to be talking about uh, sacred sites, the energy vortexes, and the invisible realms that we need to work with in these sacred sites. It is Peter Tung, the special guest Richard Leviton.
0: Be Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. How do we walk our true spiritual path at a time when the Western world is fixated on material gain? More people are now recognizing the emptiness, which comes with this limited approach to life. There is another way. Four years ago, Peter Tom left his position as a high school principal with 30 years experience in the education system and turned to his true calling of a metaphysical life. He now uses his experience and wisdom to provide solutions to personal and organizational challenges. Peter offers corporate workshops and seminars public meditations, radio interviews, healing sessions, and community visits to bring awareness of the new paradigm, the awakening to conscious co-creation. Visit PeterTongue.com today to register for events and to purchase his transformative visualization meditation CDs. You can also download the meditation CDs as MP3s if you wish for listening on your computer or on the go. These are available now at PeterTongue.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane
2: is an ordinary person's guide to modern day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being
0: here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network.
3: What's it like? What's it like? It's lonely. It's really lonely. I miss my brother. I miss my brother. I'm surrounded by other people, but it's not the same. I've got other people around me, but it's not the same. Go to jail for a gun crime and your family serves a sentence with you. Something to think about before committing a gun crime. Gun crimes hit home. This message brought to you by Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council.
0: The new home for visionary positive change. Seventh Wave Network. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program.
1: Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. Today we have with us Richard Leviton, and before the break, Richard was explaining the roles that the elemental, angelic, and ascended realms play in the work taking place at sacred sites. So, so Richard, do you actually
2: see uh, clairvoyantly these different realms? Yeah. Yeah, I've been trained both experientially and you might say in the laboratory to see and discern uh, lots of different kinds of light temples. For example, Uh, Light temple is a generic term. It just means like a temple of light, some kind of architectural-like space made in light that delivers a certain impact in consciousness. But there are, as far as my inventory goes so far, almost 200 different kinds of light temples. For example... Uh, you know, a chapel versus a Gothic cathedral. Those are two different architectural of spaces, a pyramid versus a pagoda. Do you follow me? Yes. So uh you sort of have to develop a visual vocabulary so you can see, okay, I'm in a light temple, but what kind is it? And then see, seeing this stuff is really the same as what is clairvoyance. I mean, a person who does clairvoyant readings of a person, and I do that also, You you're actually looking at the subtle parts that comprise the reality—the things called chakras and and the six subtle bodies and the layers of the aura—and and they're deep. They're embedded with tremendous amounts of information. And if I can just use another uh, comparison. Uh, so this will be more easy to understand. Astrophysicists are, are saying now that visible light, they call it baryonic matter, comprises 4% of the universe. The other 96% consists of dark energy and dark matter, and dark matter is accounting for gravity effects and dark energy for acceleration effects, but the the, the, the key word is dark, which means they can't see it, but they know it's there. Well. The planet has 96% dark matter and dark energy, and that's the light grid. That's the visionary geography, and the human has the same, too. That's the, the subtle bodies, the chakras, the auras, and uh, the, uh, the karmic body and the shadow and, and the unconscious. So it's a very consistent and organic model, and clairvoyance can be trained so that you can use it as a precision research tool, like a big, bright spotlight, and, uh, you know... Poke your way around the light temple and and uh, do what's necessary, whether it's having a, uh, a mystical experience or actually cleaning it out, because some of these places are pretty dirty. So, so when you when you when you see these different
1: realms—the elemental, angelic, yeah. and, and ascended—what they actually look like in your, you can
2: explain. Well, here, here's a couple paradoxes. One, the visuals are negotiable. I I have the impression after being. Uh, more or less clairvoyant for about 25 years, that um, what something actually looks like is highly variable in protein, uh, protein, that's T-E-A-N, and you're probably never going to see something exactly the way it looks because in the spiritual world, the more important thing is function. What is it actually doing, and what is the process? It's a very dynamic world. So we get approximate images. I like to say that clairvoyance is a series of uh, decoding energy into plausible visual metaphors. You could say, well, this place looks like such and such, and it has these features and these colors and this type of structure and this approximate size, or gnomes, uh, you know, for the earth element to uh, look like stocky bearded guys because that's the way the, the, the Celts and the 19th century Europeans, the Dutch and the Germans tended to see them because nature spirits will mold, mold themselves to look the way humans want them to. Rudolf Steiner, for example, saw gnomes and described them as ugly little sods. So it's, <laughs> it depends on what you have sort of in your clairvoyant arsenal. As far as angels, um, I've had a lot of fun with that in particular because I've worked with one family of angels that the, in the Hebrew angelology is called Ophanim. It means wheels. Ophan is Hebrew for wheels. And these guys, I've seen them in probably 30 or 40 different guises. I've seen them as a single point of light. I've seen them as six uh interconnected identical 10-foot tall male Type angels. I've seen them in a much larger array. They technically can manifest up to 40 million. I've seen them as a diamond matrix, like a crystal cave. And then they have had a predilection for various forms, including bird, elephant, uh, and uh, uh, forms uh, such as Ganesh and Garuda, as well as Hanuman, who was a gi- giant monkey in, in ancient Indian myth. And uh, the Simurg and the Phoenix. Anyway, so these are guises that the this particular angelic family have taken that you would not initially correlate with angels. Who Ganesh is the most popular, one of the most popular deities of India. It's a pot-bellied elephant god, very happy and jolly and merry, and there's no end of myths and stories and decorations about him. But who who would have thought that this is actually an angelic family dressing up in that guise? uh you know for various purposes so as to what these <laughs> what these people look like it's quite variable as far as the ascended masters they're actually a little easier because there have been a lot of depictions of godlike figures in the various cultures india is a good good place to look for that and it's sort of like a quasi human appearance with lots of Orioles, uh, flames, and symbolic uh, emblems, and just a great deal of light. And uh, but even so, their forms are by no means fixed; they can assume any form they want. So it's very uh, fluid, very mercurial in in that realm. So the the important thing is to go with function and process, and and realize that you're never going to see something 100% accurately, and it doesn't even matter.
1: So how do you, how do you uh, help people, advise
2: people to develop their clairvoyance? Well, most people, I mean, Supreme Being gave everyone the same hardware. Everyone has the sixth and seventh chakras, which are the, the means for effective and reliable clairvoyance. But uh, some people don't care and some people do care. So, and some people already have some raw talent. The raw talent needs to be developed. I mean, a person can have a, an ability to sing well, but before they sing uh, Wagner or Mozart, Cosi Vantuti or something, they'll need to train their voice and learn the scales and, and all the rest of that, the breathing, uh, to keep their voice going. So the clairvoyance needs to be trained. It's, it's in a systematic way. Uh, otherwise, your visionary experiences can be very spotty. You can misinterpret what's going on, and you can unfortunately be affected or even deluded by sort of low-level spiritual beings who get get a kick out of uh, confusing humans. Once once people poke their heads into the spiritual world, so um, uh, training is important. And what role does meditation play in in your work? Well. <laughs> I was a, I was a Zen Buddhist for a long time, and I didn't really get much out of it other than very strong knees and the ability to sit without moving my butt for a long time and to not be too impressed or too depressed with what happened. I mean, that, that was a good part that came out of Zen Buddhism. On the other hand, the minute you started having a vision, people would rush around with sticks and hit you. So... <laughs> I'm sort of making fun of the, the yeah. Zen practice. But it was good for training my mind and calming the emotions, but it wasn't actually intended to develop the visionary state. They actually discouraged that. Um, in clairvoyant training, we have a different kind of meditation that is more of an active uh, thing where, and I would actually compare it more to calisthenics or perhaps martial arts training where you have a series of, shall we say, moves in consciousness and a certain toolbox, and you get out your tools and, in a sense, put them all in place, and you do some visualizations, and you put your awareness uh, in a place and make sure you're grounded. So there's a whole protocol that technically would comprise meditation. I have found in my experience in working with other people that those who have had some kind of conventional meditation experience, doesn't matter what brand it was, uh, it's always a little easier for them to do this kind of work because it really does require you to be able to sit still undisturbed in the landscape somewhere, and it might be raining or snowing or blowing or cold or too hot or something like that, and, and just not worry about that stuff and be able to marshal your attention uh, and then to uh, you know conduct some activities in the visionary world without leaving your body. I mean, it's not about leaving your body. It's about very much staying in your body, but moving your awareness around in uh, subtle environments. We're just coming up to our, our second break, Richards. but I do want to get back
1: to chat about the actual uh, sacred sites on the Earth. And now we've set up our human beings to be able to visionary see the sites by doing their meditations and their clairvoyance. And so when we return from the break, we will uh, look at Richard's work with sacred sites around the globe and the significance of them in terms of what we need to be doing in the future. So this is uh, Peter Tung with special guest Richard Leviton, and we'll be back after this next break.
0: Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network.
2: Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Um, there's this girl I kind of like. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's women. Really? Well, they didn't call me velvet for nothing. I don't get it. Smooth. I was smooth. Oh, anyway, it's easy. You just got to impress her. Show her how strong you are. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? I don't know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt, if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, ugh! Try it. Uh. Ugh! Ugh! (laughs) on, See, there you go. And you should dress up. Start wearing a shirt and tie. I'll look like a dork. No. You'll look successful. Okay. And finally, you can start using my cologne. The ladies love it, so don't be shy. Splash it on. Thanks, Ted.
0: You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at AdoptUSKids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the US Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. How do we walk our true spiritual path at a time when the Western world is fixated on material gain? More people are now recognizing the emptiness which comes with this limited approach to life. There is another way. Four years ago, Peter Tan left his position as a high school principal with 30 years experience in the education system and turned to his true calling of a metaphysical life. He now uses his experience and wisdom to provide solutions to personal and organizational challenges. Peter offers corporate workshops and seminars, public meditations, radio interviews, healing sessions, and community visits to bring awareness of the new paradigm, the awakening to conscious co-creation. Visit PeterTongue.com today to register for events and to purchase his transformative visualization meditation CDs. You can also download the meditation CDs as MP3s if you wish for listening on your computer or on the go. These are available now at peterton.com. Tune into Inner Speak Soul Adventures Talk Radio Show every Tuesday evening at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 Eastern, and learn how to let go of your past and create the reality you desire and deserve, allowing your inner communication to take place more easily without the interference of our noisy mind chatter or your ego. Inner Speak Soul Adventures with Gene Adrian, right here
2: on the Seventh Wave Network.
0: Listening on a higher dimension, Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program.
1: Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. And today we have with us Richard Leviton. And Richard, before we move into talking about some sacred sites, I just wanted you to talk about the need for us to do uh, inner work and resolve the shadow.
2: Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, there's no free ride on this. The minute you plug yourself into the earth, you are going to be, you know, and, and, and uh, hoping to have a visionary experience, which really means to have some light into your space, that light is going to illuminate everything that's in the darkness. And that darkness is called variously the shadow, the unconscious, your karma, or to use the term from astrophysics, the dark matter and the dark energy, which we have in our space. So that stuff is going to be illuminated and it's not always very pleasant. Uh, You know, in terms of past lives, Maybe or maybe we weren't uh, high priestess in Atlantis, but it's going to be uh, contents from previous lifetimes that sit in your space that carry pain and misery and suffering and, you know, all sorts of uh, stuff, sort of like a Hieronymus Bosch painting, <laughs> if you've ever seen any of that, uh, various demonic figures being yeah. uh, fighting with angels. Anyway, uh, your unconscious content is going to be highlighted, and it's going to make you a little bit uncomfortable, and there's no way around it. The earth, similarly, at, through its sacred sites, has a great deal of history and unconscious uh, content, and when light comes to bear at a sacred site, both you and the site get illuminated and there's there's gonna be a lot of dark elements in both that need to be dealt with, otherwise you're going to be not very happy and your experience at a site is going to be a little difficult. So you have to kind of make a commitment that, uh, First, you realize that these things will uh, be highlighted, and second, that you need to take responsibility for what happens when they are highlighted. But this is very complementary to what I was saying earlier, that when you plug yourself into the light grid of the Earth and, and give the Earth uh, a benefit from it, it it feeds back to you in terms of revealing aspects of your cosmic self. So you enter into this long sort of transmutation and purging process where more light comes in your space. It highlights the dark, painful areas. These get taken care of, and you eventually become more and more transparent, which is what you need to be to actually hold the light. You can't hold the light if you're full of darkness because there's no room for the light. (laughs) So something has to go, and it's the unconscious. So holding the light really means the unconscious becomes conscious, and you become transparent. So there's an alchemical transformation taking place in you and with the, the planet. That's a good uh, a good term to use. It's an alchemical process, and your your entire psyche and consciousness becomes the alchemical retort. And in, in alchemical language, the negredo, the dark black yucky stuff is going to be cooked out of you while you're in the pot and eventually you're going to turn into the what's the image the golden king and the red queen or something I forget what the goal of that is but you're going to end up with the good stuff but you have to be able to put up with some discomfort at the beginning beginning stages if you're not and here's the tricky part. If you're not willing to do that, you might end up walking into a kind of Lewis Carroll world of illusion. Rudolf Steiner once said that if you enter the spiritual worlds without having prepared yourself properly, and that would mean clairvoyant training as well as some gaining of knowledge, the spirits there are likely to tie your chakras in knots <laughs> and spin you around and fill you with disinformation and false memories, you might say. Yeah. So... It's, uh, that's, that's the deal. Um, we want to help the Earth, but we have to be willing to sort of purge ourselves of darkness and pain.
1: Excellent. Thank you. So, Richard, you've uh, authored uh, 20 books, and I've got with me uh, The Galaxy on Earth. That was quite an undertaking to, to script those, those works, and,
2: and this is quite a significant tome. So just talk about that a little bit. Well, that book actually was going to have a 100 sites, and I kept uh, having to cut the number back because by the time I I had hit 50, the manuscript was a 1,000 pages already, so I had to reduce the the, the number. But the intent of that book was to provide a different kind of guide to sacred sites using my visual and conceptual vocabulary, which was based on empirical work in the field, uh, of Distinguishing different kinds of light temples at different sites. I mean, we talked about Sedona in there, for example. And so I looked at some of the different. Uh, I mean, I clairvoyantly looked at some of the different aspects of Sedona and tried to interpret the landscape and to and to correlate it with whatever had been said about the place. It was easier to do it in places like Greece, where there the the sites like Mycenae and. Um, I forget the other places I covered were laden with myths and old stories. So it was a question of what did these old myths really mean, and then how do they describe the landscape, and what's the current state of that uh, place today? So that was the intent of the book. So let's talk about a couple of uh, a
1: couple of sacred sites, and let's take an old one and a newer one. So let's talk about Avebury in England, yeah. very close to where all the crop circle activity happens.
2: Yeah, Avebury is a 28-acre stone circle. It's uh, 30 miles north of Stonehenge. It's open to the public. You can touch the stones. You can go up to them and do all kinds of druidic activities that <laughs> you can't do at Stonehenge. And it's a beautiful place. And <clears throat> my research uh, in conjunction with the angelic realm has Turned up the fact that it was, uh, it functions as the planet's umbilicus. In other words, yeah, there are a bunch of stones. Originally, there were about 96 stones. There's only about 20 or so left, but they used to be very, very big stones, like 10 feet tall, very oddly shaped, and, you know, between 10 and 20 tons each, arranged more or less in a circle with a ditch on the outside of it. Uh, Anyway, it functions as the Earth's umbilicus. Let's say, just like a fetus, In a mother's uh, uterus, uh, the fetus is connected to the mom. That way, the planet is connected to, in this case, the mom and dad energies of the galaxy by way of Averbury. And not only that, but there is a feature at Averbury uh, which looks like a gigantic diamond of light, with, no exaggeration, about 40 million facets. And this is actually a manifestation, guys, of the same angelic order, the Ophanim that I mentioned earlier, the wheels that I've worked with for about 25 years. And here's the cool part. Every human being, whether they believe in it or not, whether they're atheist, Jewish, uh, Muslim, uh, Catholic, or anything else, every human has the same thing inside, not exactly their body, but inside their energy space. It's a diamond, it also looks like a tiny blazing star, a pinprick of light. So here's the cool part. You tune into Averbury by connecting your awareness with the equivalent of Averbury inside you. It's just above the belly button. It's not to do with the third chakra or the belly button or the stomach or intestines or anything, it's just uh, that's where it was placed for various sort of design reasons. But it puts you in resonance with the Earth and the entire light grid of the planet. Averbury also holds the sort of organization together for the entire light grid of the planet. So you can use Averbury as a way of tuning in to the entire Earth as well as the galaxy and putting yourself in alignment with one of the prime angelic families that helped put the Earth and the light grid of the Earth together in the first place. And when you say Averbury is the umbilicus, where does it connect to off-planet? Yeah, very good question. It has... If you were to look at Averybury Clairvoyantly, coming into that diamond, as I described, which would be a 28-acre large diamond, is a double helix or a braided network of two light lines. One is gold and one is silver. The gold line comes from the star Sirius, which is roughly in the throat of Canis Major, the big dog, uh, famous in myths for guarding uh, the temple of the, of the stars, the cauldron of the stars. The silver line goes to Canopus, which is a star in Argo-Navis, it's a southern hemisphere star. It's also the second brightest star in the galaxy. So the mother-father energies of the galaxy come into the Earth at Averbury, and the same pattern is replicated in the human being in subtle energy threads called nadis, the ida and pingala, one's gold and one's silver, that thread uh, like a caduceus, or like a a double helix around the chakras from the root chakra at the base of the spine to the top of the head. So what is outside is also inside. It's very cool because it makes it very easy for us to tune into the earth and to be in resonance with it because we have the same design. I like the phrase, as above, that's the spiritual world and the galaxy and the whole design principle there. As above, so below, which is the human. The human is the microcosm of the celestial world and its design. And in the middle, too, which is the Earth. The Earth has the identical template as the human. So we both, Earth and us, have the same design template as the celestial world. And therefore, we're in a perfect position to have resonance across all three realms. And that's what the light grid is all about,
1: ultimately. That's sort of the big picture. So when we talk about the kundalini rising within the human being through the gold and silver channels, that would also be true for the planet itself.
2: Yes, but you have to be careful with kundalini. It's a very, very powerful energy. And on the planetary level, the kundalini is embodied in the form of what many myth systems from various cultures call dragons, coiled, undulatory, serpentine-like uh, bodies of light. Uh, it's not, they're not really snakes. Some people have sort of literalized them to say they're like snakes of light, but they're more like, uh, the undulatory, uh, shape with wings, so to speak. They're both mobile. And anyway, that's where the Kundalini sits on the planet, and it's in multiple locations. Everything, as I said, is fractal and holographic, so it's copies with, copies of copies of copies and systems within systems, wheels within wheels, but that's where the Kundalini sits. In the the dragon forms across the landscape, so richard we 're coming up to our next break, and, <coughs> and so
1: after the break we 're going to talk about a relatively new site on the planet, Lake Tahoe, which I am actually looking at at the moment as we conduct this uh, this uh, radio show. So I have with me uh, Richard Leviton, who is giving us a phenomenal insight into the landscape of planet Earth and how the human kingdom fit into it and we 'll be back for our last segment shortly.
0: taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. How do we walk our true spiritual path at a time when the Western world is fixated on material gain? More people are now recognizing the emptiness, which comes with this limited approach to life. There is another way. Four years ago, Peter Tong left his position as a high school principal with 30 years experience in the education system and turned to his true calling of a metaphysical life. He now uses his experience and wisdom to provide solutions to personal and organizational challenges. Peter offers corporate workshops and seminars, public meditations, radio interviews, healing sessions, and community visits to bring awareness of the new paradigm, the awakening to conscious co-creation. Visit PeterTongue.com today to register for events and to purchase his transformative visualization meditation CDs. You can also download the meditation CDs as mp3s if you wish for listening on your computer or on the go. These are available now at petertongue.com. When you have a stroke, you may not even notice it
3: right away. But then, time passes, and the symptoms get worse. One minute you feel fine, and the next, your speech could be slurred or not make sense. One side of your body might become numb. You might see double. You drop the TV remote because you can't hold up your arm. That's because after a stroke, every minute you don't get help is another minute that your brain is being starved of oxygen. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face, arm, or leg. Sudden trouble seeing, speaking, or understanding. If you experience any of these warning signs, call 911 immediately. Because time lost is brain lost. Visit StrokeAssociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE today. A public service announcement from the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council.
0: Be extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. listening to awakening to conscious co-creation with peter tongue if you have a question for peter or comment on this series please send an email to descending dove at gmail.com that's descending dove at gmail.com now back to our program
1: welcome back to awakening to conscious co-creation with your host peter tongue and today we have with us Richard Leviton, and before the break, Richard was talking about one of the ancient sites on the planet in Avebury in the southwest of England. And now, Richard, I'd like you to chat about one of the emerging sacred sites on the planet in Lake Tahoe, Nevada.
2: Yes, that's right. Lake Tahoe, in case people don't know what it is, is a 26-mile-long lake on the border of California and Nevada uh, on the, in the Sierra Nevadas. Um, one of the exciting things about the light grid of uh, the planet is it's a bit like clockwork let's say as i said before there are literally millions of sites they are not all active or turned on at the same time the, some are some are on and some are dormant and and the a lot of the sacred sites that people uh, nor- are aware of today, like Stonehenge, for example, are technically not even turned on, yet there are many sites that are starting to come into prominence, and as-, as I was referring earlier, the dimmer switch is starting to be turned on for them. Lake Tahoe is one of these places. Most people usually think about Tahoe as a... Place for wealthy people with big houses and motorboats and casinos and uh, the movie The Godfather and all the rest of that and some nice boating and wonderful mountains. But it's actually uh, a prime landscape of light with uh, at least 40 different light temple features that I've found so far, including uh dragon forms there's 3 of those there are uh 3 or 4 very large uh, canopies of light over the prim- primary mountains that girt the lake and these all convey a kind of holographic presence of individual stars this is not a question of alignment it's a, a holographic real-time presence um so and, and there's many other things it sort of gets into a bit of a technical uh language to explain what they all are but one of the um, one of the important things about Tahoe as a whole <clears throat> is that when you take all the 30 or 40 or 50 whatever the final amount is Light Temples, and ask, what is their function as a whole? Their function as a whole is to operate at a heart chakra level within a much larger energy body that occupies one-twelfth of the surface of the planet. So this is a nice picture of embeddedness. A Light Temple or Sacred Site is always embedded in something bigger. Ultimately, of course, everything is embedded in the planetary pattern. So it's just it's a matter of finding out which level uh, a, a given system is operating at. And the other fun thing about Tahoe is that it gives us an opportunity, and I've been doing this in a series of I think about ten workshops in the last five years with different people, uh, mostly in the area of Truckee, uh, to start identifying and interacting with all the different features of Lake Tahoe and to participate in this dimmer switch alignment with the elemental kingdom and the angelic and archangelic kingdoms. Uh, particularly on a key date, uh, September 29th, which is called Michaelmas if you're English, but if you pronounce it right, it's actually Mike K.L. Mass. It's a mass for the Archangel Michael when he cleanses the light grid. So anyway, Lake Tahoe is an example of an unsuspected landscape of light starting to get illuminated.
1: And just to clarify that, so you're going to actually be in Lake
2: Tahoe for
1: a three-day workshop over uh, what I call Michaelmas. <laughs>
2: Yes, that's correct. September 29th is the key date every year when the light grid of the planet gets cleaned. It's sort of like Michael, the Archangel Michael acts as a plumber for that day and cleans all the pipes, the ley lines, the, the canopies, the light temples, and flushes sort of cosmic intelligence and Christ light through the entire pattern. It's a great day to participate in any kind of activity to do with the Earth.
1: So, So having put all this together during the show today, uh, what is the bigger picture? What is going on? What, what are we looking forward to as, as far as your understanding of the planetary consciousness and human consciousness?
2: Well, the bigger picture is a little technical, but I'll try to make it simple. The, the totality of the planet's light grid can be described geometrically in terms of a nest of five different kinds of geometric forms. They're called platonic solids. These are kind of the geometric configurations that support the five elements, earth, air, fire, water, and ether. This is like the first story or the first floor of a building. Since 1986, the angelic and hierarchical realm have been Uh, adding a second layer. In other words, the light grid is morphing. It's like if you can imagine a diamond morphing to have double the amount of facets. And this next new pattern, which will take about a hundred years to fully come out, is going to have no affiliations with elements. Just as the sixth and seventh chakras in the human have no elemental correlations, earth, air, fire, water, and ether, as the lower five do, so will this new layer of the earth grid, which means every aspect of planetary reality, consciousness, emotions, body, matter, everything is being affected. Every single aspect of our planetary reality is being affected. This is really the ultimate context for Earth changes and all the other tumults, both, you know, pleasant and unpleasant, that are happening around the planet. The unpleasant would be, say, earthquakes and volcanoes. The pleasant would be everyone's becoming a little more psychic, whether they like it or not. So this is the big picture. There's a big morphing of the light grid of the planet going on, which will continue for the rest of the century. Okay, and so the
1: work that that's being done with connecting with the Earth and even people just sitting in meditation and honoring the
2: Earth is a really important part of our connection to the Earth. It's better to surf than to get wiped out. <laughs> I mean, you know, you surf the wave or the wave surfs you, right? So Absolutely. the wave would be the big change happening on the planet. Why not get with the program instead of resisting it? Because resistance, as the Borg say, is futile.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Richard, we're coming up to the end of the show and it's been an absolute delight uh, working with you today and I really appreciate all that you had to say and bring, bring to our understanding of this awakening on the planet. So tell us about your own website and, and uh, how people can make contact with you if they wish to be involved in any
2: of your work or any of your books. Yeah, well I've written 20 books and I'm halfway through my 21st. These are all available <clears throat> through Amazon or The publisher, iUniverse, actually only half of them are from iUniverse. All of them are from Amazon, available from Amazon. The website is www, and this is all one long word, blue as in the color, room as in like a bedroom, so com and uh, it's not a great website it's it just will tell you how to get a hold of me and explain some of the programs what i emphasize is direct training uh of people and giving them uh, facilitating experiences uh for them in the landscape and you know taking them to various light temples both uh, around the santa fe new mexico area and elsewhere uh and and giving a kind of guided almost initiation like uh week long experience um, in, you know, in, in the context of how to correlate myth and experience and consciousness and the landscape and put it together in a coherent picture that shows you how to interact with the planet and gives you a map and some protocols for doing it anywhere else on the planet. Well, Richard, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this chat and I'm looking forward to
1: working with you on Michaelmas uh, at Lake Tahoe for sure. Thank you thank very you. much indeed. So next week's show will feature David Sarida who has a wealth of knowledge and experience in the scientific realms and the metaphysical realms. His new DVD, Quantum Communication, has just been released and we'll be discussing the DVD as well as Zero Point Energy, The Hidden Harmonic Codes of the Universe and the Pathway to Expanded Consciousness. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today with Richard Leviton. I hope you enjoyed it and I especially thank you for listening. This is Peter Tung or Conscious Co-Creation, wishing you a very good day.